For decades, credit cards have been telling us, buy it now and pay for it later, with interest. Despite your best intentions, that interest can get out of control fast. With Lending Club, you can consolidate your debt or pay off credit cards with one fixed monthly payment. Since 2007, Lending Club has helped millions of people regain control of their finances with affordable fixed-rate personal loans. No trips to a bank, no high-interest credit cards. Just go to LendingClub.com, tell them about yourself and how much you want to borrow. Pick the terms that are right for you. And if you're approved, your loan is automatically deposited into your bank account in as little as a few days. Lending Club is the number one peer-to-peer lending platform with over $35 billion in loans issued. Go to LendingClub.com slash buck. Check your rate in minutes and borrow up to $40,000. That's LendingClub.com slash buck. LendingClub.com slash buck. All loans made by WebBank. Member FDIC. Equal housing lender. You are entering the Freedom Hut. Metaphor guilty. Cohen takes a deal. Also, I suppose we could say guilty. And what does all of this mean for the Trump administration? The president's talking tonight. We'll get into that and much more coming up on the Buck Sexton Show. This, this is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission, or mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One Make, Make no mistake. America. Ready. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. However, he would like to thank Judge Ellis for granting him a fair trial. Thank the jury for their... Very long and hard-fought deliberations. He is evaluating all of his options at this point. Thank you, everyone. Today, as you heard, Michael Gowen pled guilty to eight felony charges. Five of those dealt with tax evasion for the years 2012 through 2016, in which he failed to report approximately $4.1 million in reported income. Approximately 2.5 of that money was from interest payments from a personal loan that he failed to report. Approximately $1.3 million of that money was from the operation of his taxi medallion business. Approximately $100,000 of that money was from uh, brokerage commissions. And over $200,000 was from consulting fees. That's over $4.3 million over a five-year period, which translates into a loss to the United States Treasury of approximately uh, $1.3 million. In addition, in count six, Mr. Cohen pled guilty to making false statements to a financial institution in connection with an application for a home equity line of credit. In that application, he failed to disclose more than $14 million in debt that he had, and as a result of that concealment, He obtained that $500,000 line of credit, which he would not have been entitled to had he been candid and honest. I feel very sad about that. Uh, It doesn't involve me, but I still feel, uh, you know, it's a very sad thing that happens. This has nothing to do with Russian collusion. This started as Russian collusion. This has absolutely nothing to do. This is a witch hunt, and it's a disgrace. But this has nothing to do with what they started out, looking for Russians involved in our campaign. There were none. 
I feel very badly for Paul Manafort. Again, he worked for Bob Dole, he worked for Ronald Reagan, he worked for many, many people. And uh, this is the way it ends up. And it was not the original mission, believe me. It was, uh, it was something very much different. So, had nothing to do with Russian collusion. We continue the witch hunt. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. We continue the witch hunt, the president says. Uh, and that's certainly true. It's a fascinating, and, and I would tell you folks, a very unsettling thing to see what has happened here in these two trials, or at least one trial and one set of set of charges, one imminent trial. And I want to break these down and you know, the details of them are not all that important uh, in terms of at least the, the charges, right? The, the details of uh, what they hid. And you'll, you'll notice that that one, the prosecutor who was stating what, what Cohen did, he kept saying, you know, $4 million are hidden. It. Well, it's $1 million that the, uh, the federal government did not get their hands on. It's one million dollars that is really at issue here. That was their cut. That was Uncle Sam's cut from what at least from what I can gather. Um, And on Manafort. They got him on uh, eight counts, 10 counts. There was a uh, there was a mistrial. I couldn't tell on 10 of the counts. Now, a lot of people are going to look at this, as is already the case. I see here on CNN a, a, a slightly celebratory tone. A lot of people are. Now going to run on and talk about how everyone who's around Trump is a crook. And I would like to start with some very, very important, uh, let's say, basic assumptions that we should all have here before we get into all this. I, I know people are going to say, oh, my gosh, look what this proves. And first of all, it proves nothing about Russia collusion or the election. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So the president's right about that. But what I can tell you is this. If... You had taken a team of ferocious, ideologically driven federal prosecutors and given them unfettered authority to pull whatever records they want, to pull anyone they want under oath, and essentially to go get scalps. And you had unleashed that group, a man, I mean, a Mueller like squad on Hillary Clinton and her immediate circle. Okay, I I, no serious person could convince me that you would not find tax problems, financial impropriety, uh, you know, failure to register as a foreign agent. A lot of these things that have come up with Manafort and with Cohen, you would see in similar fashion with Hillary and her. In fact, I think Hillary herself, quite honestly, if you if you were to shake the tree vigorously long enough, things would fall down that would be criminal in nature. Uh, and and some of you are saying, well, Buck, also, you don't have to shake any tree because she violated classification protocol so that she could maintain, uh, maintain. And, you know, people always forget this. I think this is important to remember. And I know this is where I'd, I'd get a lot of trouble from my liberal friends. Why are you talking about Hillary when it's mandatory? No, because it matters. It, it, it really they can call it whataboutism all they want. But this really does matter because the worst thing you can have is whataboutism in the justice system. Right. They say it's whataboutism from pundits and people that go on the news, but whataboutism when it comes to uh, the justice system, meaning, you know, well, what about this thing? 
But not what about that thing? When people are treated differently based on their connections, their political affiliations, uh, that is incredibly destructive. You want to talk about undermining institutions. When Republicans can count on getting the harshest possible treatment from federal prosecutors and Democrats know that they will be uh, treated as leniently as they possibly can. We have a very we're entering a very dark period in our country. And with Hillary and those around her, it was obvious to anybody who was paying attention that she was getting special treatment, Um, that, yes, she broke laws. But also, if you were to dig into the Clinton Foundation and what they were doing, there was clear impropriety there and they just weren't willing to see it or take action on it. With Trump, you see the opposite. You know, with, with Trump, you see an effort to do everything possible in the prosecutor's uh, prosecutors arsenal, that the toolkits that they have. Arsenal sounds scarier. We'll stay with that. The arsenal. Rawr. Uh, to, take, to take people down. This is different, folks. This is distinct from what we've seen uh, with others. And, and, and there, there are some other things that just, just some general feelings on this that I have. One of them is that any American should hear that Manafort, and maybe I'll, I'll talk more about the Cohen stuff, and I want to focus on a Manafort for a second. Any American should hear that Manafort faced for, in some of the specific uh, counts, right? He had 18 counts against him, 10 of them mistrial, 8 of them found guilty. That on some of those counts in which he was found guilty, one infraction, and we're talking about tax infractions, could be punishable by up to 30 years in federal prison. And I understand what the argument is here, right? Folks, people will say, oh, but he'll never get that. Okay, but what kind of country are we living in where you could even in theory go to prison for 30 years based on not letting the federal government steal even more of your stuff? I always think that's important to remember with these tax fraud cases, too. You know, uh, the the uh, notion is that, well, you're not paying any taxes. No, it's that you didn't pay all of your taxes. You're still paying taxes. You know, you're still contributing. The federal government's still taking money from you. It's just a question of, did they get their full cut or not? And I know that, you know, the country would cease to run if nobody paid their taxes. And, you know, some of you are going to tell me, well, Buck, we had no federal income tax until uh, the 20th century. I know that's all true. And I wish we could go back to that, although I don't think there's any really serious effort right now to get us there. Um, but in the meantime, we, we would have a serious financial crisis on our hands if people didn't pay their taxes. Okay, fine. 30 years, though? Three zero, one count. Think of any person you know. Think of the the, the worst boss, the most Lumberg like boss. Uh, we'd have to come in here on Sunday. You know, the worst boss you've ever had, the worst neighbor, or whatever. Somebody just drove you nuts. And if they got caught on one ta- on one count of tax evasion, would you think it was just to send them away for thirty years? What is that all about? You know, we have this system of federal prosecution where so much is in favor of the prosecutors at this point. I mean, you effectively gamble away your entire life if you even want to try and, and protest your innocence. Now, look, I, yeah, I think Manafort, sure. I think he's guilty, of course. Do I think that he violated the law? Yes. Should the law matter? Sure. Of course. But with Democrats, is it fair to say the law is the law? Certainly not the case when it comes to illegal immigrants. You know, when, when I always bring up how Democrats feel about illegal immigration, which is the laws don't count, I will talk to you also about, you know, taxes. And the same case can be made, right? 
You can say about illegal immigrants, come on, they just want to be here. They just want their piece of the dream. You could say about Paul Manafort, well, he's contributing to the economy and, you know, he, he didn't hurt anybody. And it doesn't it, it doesn't financially matter to the federal government that one person did not pay, you know, whatever it was, millions of dollars of tax. It, it makes no difference whatsoever. Zero difference. But we punish him because we believe in a rule of law. With legal immigration, you'll notice that logic does not apply anymore. The law is no longer the law. The law is some kind of a, of a suggestion. It's, it's something that changes based on the whims of the Democrat mob. And that's, that's, another, that's another part of this I think is important to focus on. And, and finally, there's this. I know there's, some, there's celebration out there among people who hate Trump. There's celebration out there among people that really just want to see suffering among those who were even for a short time, as Manafort was, a short timer before he was fired on the Trump campaign. Um, but they, they really like to joyride in this man's, in this man's uh, downfall. And I would just say that that is unseemly, folks. It really is. You know, that we're not talking about a, uh, a psycho killer. We're not talking about a, a rapist, a murderer, somebody who's, you know, beneath contempt. We're talking about a guy who's greedy, who was, was shady in his business dealings, and who is only, let's all be clear about this, only now facing the rest of his life possibly in prison. That's right. He could spend, the. I mean, he might get an 8, 10, 12-year sentence. You know, maybe he'll get out and have some time, but he could get a lot more than that too. But I think he faces over 80 years, which is also, let's all be honest, insane. 80 years? I mean, he should have to make financial restitution, pay a fine, and be banned from, you know, the, the industry he was in. And, you know, do a lot of charity work. Like, actually go volunteer and help people. I mean, it's lock him away for 80 years? Why is that even on the books? Why should that even be possible? So, there's a lot of celebration out there right now, though, folks. Because a guy who had worked for other administrations, you won't hear much about that, who was kind of a political insider, a political player here in D.C. and obviously abroad, he got jammed up on a tax fraud case. Look at how far we've gone from Russia collusion and the sanctity of our elections. We now have journalists who can barely hide their glee at some, you know, political gun for hire, basically, who didn't pay his taxes. And this is supposed to make us sleep more soundly at night. I, I just... I, I, you know, this, this is be, this has become a focus of the Trump deranged in ways that tell us much more about them than it tells us about Russia collusion or Trump or anything else going on here. I, I want to talk to you all about the Cohen stuff. I know Trump is going to be speaking uh, uh, in a little bit as well. His rally tonight, I'm sure, is going to be it's going to be fascinating. Uh, so that we'll, we'll pick up some of that live if we can. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. Uh, also, send me your thoughts on Facebook, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Our lines are lit, team, so let's get to some of our wonderful callers here. We have uh, John in Mississippi. Hey, John. Hey, Buck. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for calling in. Good. Um, yeah, so what uh, what disturbs me is that he could get 30 years in prison I doubt that he will, but he could. And yet 
On one count, by the way, John, not to interrupt you, but one count. He was charged with 18 counts. Amazing. So we routinely let murderers, rapists, and people who commit armed robbery out in a fraction of the time that they're supposed to serve. It's ironic. Well, yes, and, 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 you know, there's actually a pretty clear movement, John, on the left to suggest that you know, financial crimes because of white privilege, for example, financial crimes are less harshly punished and are just as bad and therefore should be punished as harshly as people who are violent. You know, so so a, a, a violent criminal, uh, you know, a gangbanger who you know sh- shoots a gun off at somebody and, and is guilty of attempted murder should serve, you know, about the same amount of time as somebody who owes the federal government more tax money. I mean, there are people on the left who will tell you that that's what justice would look like, that that happens. Well, the government has to uh, scare the populace into submission. Um, You know, with a a sentence like that, uh, they are trying to send a message that you don't mess with the government. And that's why they are so they're I think the government is terrified of things like cryptocurrency and Bitcoin because they can't control it and they know it. And they're probably behind price manipulation of the Bitcoin market and all that stuff right now. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's a, they're, they're really not your friend. No, they, they are not your friend, as I like to tell people. Be very clear on that. The, the government is yeah. not your friend. So, uh, John, thank you very much for calling in, man. I appreciate it. Shield tie. Brent in New Mexico. Hey, Brent. Hey, Bob. Shield tie, man. Shield tie. Yeah, well, uh, on, on a note on that, I guess it goes to show you the difference between being charged by the federal government and by your state government. I mean, the state's the one who handles your murder charge, but if the federal government gets involved on a tax evasion thing, it's a whole other ballpark, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, the federal prosecutors, remember, you have to there's mandatory minimums. You have to serve your full sentence. There's no parole. And the resources that federal prosecutors have are way bigger and better than usually what you'll get against a a district attorney. Yes, sir. Well, I kind of jumped the gun on the Cohen thing, but I didn't hear it in your monologue. But I was reading in my Twitter feed and I won't drop names on the reporters who were saying it. But rumor has it that Cohen might plead down to a campaign finance charge. And if that happens, could that implicate Trump? Or do you think that this is something to seriously be concerned about? Or do you think that they're just talking? Uh, I think that's uh, that's a perfect segue to where I was going to go here, which I wanted to start with focus on Manafort uh, and then get to the, the Cohen situation. I have to wonder also, I don't mean to be conspiratorial here, Brent, but, you know, the, the timing of this, maybe if you're Cohen, do you, you know, did, did, did they plan this? It, it seems a little coincidental. I, I, I guess it could be a coincidence. I, I can't say it, it's not. But that this happens on the same day? Doesn't that strike anybody as maybe somebody, well, I think that the, the most likely situation is that Cohen maybe wanted to get this over with the same day that Manafort got his guilt. I don't know. It, it's definitely something that I'm taking note of. We will talk about Cohen, though, and what is going to happen with him and, and whether or not, to your question, Brent, he's a possible problem for Trump. Uh, we'll talk about that in, in just a few moments here coming up after this break. 844-900-BUCK if you want to chat. 844-900-2825. We'll be right back. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. So we were speaking before about the... Uh, 
Cohen situation, or sorry, the the Manafort situation, and, and now we should speak about the Cohen situation a bit. Um, my, Michael Cohen was president's lawyer, his close confidant. Uh, some people in a in a nod to the uh, Godfather and other mafia pop culture referred to him as a consigliere. As we all know, you don't pronounce the G, so it's not a consigliere. Uh, but Michael Cohen, who is the president's personal attorney, has admitted to charges, uh, felony charges, including federal campaign finance uh, law violations by arranging hush money payments to adult film star Stormy Daniels and former Playboy model Karen McDougal at the direction of then candidate Trump. Um, in total, Cohen pleaded guilty to five counts of tax evasion, one count of making false statements to a financial institution, one count of willfully causing an unlawful corporate contribution, and one count of making an excessive campaign contribution. Cohen could receive. Who wants to guess? Who wants to guess? You, you heard those charges, right? Basically, finance stuff, like moving, moving around some money into different things for the purposes of enriching himself or for political reasons. Five years in prison? Ten years in prison? Try 65 years in prison if convicted on all charges. Uh, wow. That's what he could have received. His plea deal says he will not challenge a sentence between 46 and 63 months. So four, basically, he's looking at four, four or five years. Uh, and the deal does not involve a cooperation agreement with federal prosecutors. So he could be, he's going to be sentenced on December 12th. Cohen could go away for four. He's going to go away for four years, folks, for this. Four years. Uh, and he's not cooperating, which people are going to point at this and say, well, what does that really mean about whether he's any risk to the president? And this brings me to what my my esteemed uh, caller a few moments ago was asking about. I don't think Trump, I don't think Cohen has anything on the president. But understand, folks, that this is all about the president to the Democrats. This isn't about some individuals who didn't pay their taxes or did shady things in their businesses, anything that anyone does around Trump or that they did years before they were around Trump in the case of Manafort, anything that they did that is wrong, the media will try to find a way to place it at Trump's feet. It's Trump's fault. Trump is the cause of the problem. Trump is the reason that these issues happen. Now, I know that's not rational. It's not reasonable. But this is what they believe, and you need to understand that that's really the takeaway here. And, and you can don't have to take my word for it. We've got a member of Congress, for example, Democrat. What is it, uh, Castro, John? I mean, uh, Mike? Yes. Is it, is it, yes, Representative Castro. Here's what he says about this. Play 17. Today we witnessed the President of the United States go from the frying pan into the fire, uh, moving not just from political liability for a bad situation with Russia collusion and so forth to perhaps legal liability now. And the question has come up a few times about what the Congress will do. And I can't say for sure what the Congress will do. But I, I believe that the Judiciary Committee in both the House and the Senate should take this, this issue up immediately and should start to hold hearings about exactly what happened, uh, call in the folks who can corroborate what the president may have done, according to Michael Cohen, uh, call in the people from American media, the man who owns the Inquirer, for example, and corroborate what was said by Michael Cohen the president's personal lawyer, somebody who has kept his secrets, somebody who has been not just a lawyer, but a confidant to this president, 
has made very serious allegations about the president's behavior. <sighs> it has nothing to do with Russia, folks. Nothing at all. This is all about Stormy Daniels and uh, that other woman that Trump had the alleged affair with. I'm actually Karen McDougal, uh, Karen McDougal right? Uh, he, here's what uh, the report is on Fox News about this from this is Cohen's attorney, Lanny Davis, whom I uh, interviewed a few weeks ago about this very issue. Here's what he says now that the guilty plea uh, has been handed in. Quote, this is Michael fulfilling his promise made on July 2nd to put his family and country first and tell the truth about Donald Trump. Today, he stood up and testified under oath that Donald Trump directed him to commit a crime by making payments to two women for the principal purpose of influencing an election. If those payments were a crime for Michael Cohen, then why wouldn't they be a crime for Donald Trump? Uh, now, this is uh, on so many levels, folks. You, you, ha- you have to dig a little bit below uh, what what they're offering you up here as, as the main headlines and everything else, because, first of all, Cohen is Trump's lawyer. So if someone is supposed to know if this is going to be a violation of law, one would think that it would be Cohen and, and not the client. So start with that. And usually a, a lawyer who takes his client's direction to violate the law is in a weird spot to say, well, it's because I was told to. Well, your job is to know the law and to be an officer of the court, even if you're in private practice. You're not supposed to just violate the law. Um, And and then this notion of the principal purpose of influencing an election. You could say this, folks, about anything. If this is now the definition of influencing an election, giving Donald Trump a tissue to blow his nose before he goes on stage— is an illegal campaign contribution. I mean, this is crazy. Purpose of influencing an election. I mean, he's trying to, he's paying off people who are blackmailing him over a personal issue that I would note also, I don't think would have had the least bit of actual effect on his election. I mean, maybe they didn't know that at the time, but, but, but they're expanding these definitions. I mean, they're making sure that their interpretation of all legal matters is as negative and creates as much jeopardy for Trump as possible. And, you know, there's no innocent until proven guilty on their minds here. There's no sense of fair play or what's right for the country or what's what's decent treatment for for Trump under the circumstances. This is all being taken as evidence of Trump commit Trump himself committed a crime. I, I think we're quite clear here that what's going to happen is there's going to be impeachment. Uh, what's going to happen is the Democrats, regardless of what comes out of all these investigations and, you know, all of Mueller's horses and all of Mueller's men and all the stuff that's going on here. Democrats are going to try to impeach the president of the United States, period. And think of what that's going to do to the country. Think of how well things are going right now. I mean, we, we are in in uh, an incredible period of booming economic growth. We are not at we're not involved in some massive, unnecessary war overseas. We feel like we're not getting lectures all the time from our own government about how we're insufficient and, and inept and not good enough and disappointing him. You know, you know, with Obama, he was always you were disappointing him, America, just disappointing Obama. It gets annoying, gets old. Uh, that whole ploy was uh, was tiresome from the beginning with Trump. He's like, yeah, we're going to fix some things. Here are the things we're going to fix. We're going to do this. We're going to speak about things the way normal people speak about things. We're going to stop the poll tested, rigid 
you know, c- cyborg-like conversation that politicians think they have to engage in order to win elections. I'm just going to speak to people the way people speak and approach issues the way a normal person who wants to fix them would and not do everything as though you're scared or, you know, you don't know which way is up, which way is down, what's right and what's wrong. You're just going to try to fix problems and make things better for America. I mean, I, I know it sounds very simplistic, but it's also very powerful. I mean, that approach has been so powerful. And the Democrats can't beat him on the messaging. So they're trying to beat him by twisting and weaponizing the law. I've worked on criminal cases. Uh, I've been an investigator on counterterrorism cases, but I I can tell you that if a trained group of investigators, particularly if you're getting federal prosecutors involved, wants to get you, they're probably going to be able to. If they really want to, they will find if you're involved in business dealings, if you're a high profile person who is, you know, dealing with incoming from a whole different variety of places all the time, they'll find a way. There's usually a way. And what we've seen here is that attitude has been taken against the sitting president of the United States by the other side. There's also another, you know, so so I just I want to note that before I get to another very important point, because this is. This is what the Democrats come up with. They have to remove, they can't beat Trump on the merits. So they have to say he didn't win the election. He's crazy. He, he, and he, he cheated. You know, he's mentally unfit for office, even though he's doing a great job in office. He's, you know, the worst president ever, even though he would crush any Democrat who ran again. If we held an election tomorrow against any Democrat right now in the field, Trump would win. I'd bet all, I bet all the money I have on it, which would, hundreds of dollars would be at stake, right? But uh, I, I, I'm i telling you, that's what would happen. Despite what they tell us about Trump all the time, despite the way that they frame these issues. And then there's another, and this is the one that, that really bothers me. Um, you know, other than that they can't beat him on messaging, they can't beat him politically, so they're trying to beat him legally. They're, they're engaging in a form of politicized lawfare against this president. They have made it very clear to anyone who feels like there's finally been some headway made, there's finally been inroads against the establishment, against, call it the swamp if you want, whatever it may be, against our, our journalist and, and uh, politician ruling class. You know, our, our political elites. Elite because they think they are, not because they actually are. That this is now going to be held up as the example of what happens when you step out of line. If you step out of line and you try to assist Trump, you try to be around Trump, you want to be, you're going to get chased out of restaurants. You're going to get attacked in public, sometimes physically. You're going to be called horrible things. You're going to have your sponsors uh, boycotted. And you're also going to have prosecutors who go after you. Does anyone think if Cohen was not involved with Trump, uh, he would he would be facing four years in prison right now. I'm not saying it makes what he did right, but if we're really going to just dig into this, we should. Does anyone think Manafort would be facing over 80 years in prison if he was not Trump's former campaign chairman? Of course not. This is all about it's it's all about score settling and sending messages. The score settling is the media is angry. They're angry because they felt like they had to choke down a lot of, you know, ready for her, Hillary's great crap, and they know it. 
and they felt debased by it. And they, and they should because it was disgraceful what they did, but they're angry about that. But they choked out all that, oh, yeah, Hillary's actually an honest, ethical, good person because they thought that there would be a White House for eight years where they would all have, you know, lots of entree and, you know, the, the, the cool kids, the good guy team would be in the White House just like they were for eight years in the Obama administration. And it was going to be the, the pinnacle of their careers. Same for a lot of senior government officials, including ones that are signing letters now against Trump and everything else. They thought that, you know, their, their ship was coming into port, so to speak, and Trump scuttled it. So they're angry. And they want to settle scores, just like you'll, you'll notice this happened with Bush as well. They went after Scooter Libby. They were trying to go after Karl Rove. They weaponized the law. This is how the left plays the game, folks. They are little tyrants. They don't want to beat you in a debate. They don't want to bring you over to their side. This is not a good faith political back and forth. This is they want to crush us. They have no scruples. They have no principles. They'll do anything that they can. Now, should Manafort and Cohen make it so easy for them? No, they should not. But understand that this is only happening because of Trump. Uh, and it's not the end of it either. You know, th there are going to be more efforts to bring charges, to use the law as a tool of politics, uh, no matter who it destroys and no matter what the wreckage left behind may be. And just think of this. You know, Democrats pretend that Trump is such a divider and he's so negative, he's so bad for us and all this other stuff. How divided does the country feel if the president that, you know, over 60 million of us voted for, including me, all right, and I cast my vote for this guy, I threw my support behind him before the election, and, you know, each month I feel like he's doing an even better job. If that president is not just beset by uh, removal proceedings by the, or rather impeachment proceedings by the Congress, but then perhaps it becomes an issue of the Senate will, try, you know, Democrat senators will try to take him out of office through removal proceedings if they get. Now, they'll never get there. I know it's two thirds and all the rest of it, but that will be a, uh, a thing you will hear from some Democrats, I think, in the future if, if things keep going in this direction. You want to talk about a country that's not united? They're trying to because they are sore losers because they're babies, because they won't accept the world as it is, they won't accept that their ideas stink. Democrats are just going to find some way to stop the Trump presidency. They won't just allow it happen. They won't judge him based on the results. They'll find some way to stop it. You want to talk about a country that's going to be divided. I'm actually frightened about what the country feels like if they manage to stop the presidency in some way, not at the ballot box. Because that's really their goal here, folks. That is their goal. They think this is Nixon part two. They think they're going to find a way. They're going to probably pressure him to resign. 844-900-BUCK-TEAM. 844-900-2825. We'll be right back. As far as the diplomatic side and the leveraging of sanctions, there isn't much more to do than what you see as far as the trajectory coming out of the administration and Congress. You see the response as it related to the use of violation of uh, what is international law using chemical biological weapons, as we saw in UK, where innocent uh, UK civilians uh, either lost their lives or were injured. 
Uh, what is announced today has to do with Russia su uh, supplying support to North Korea. Mm -hmm. uh, now, as far as the trajectory that we're on is one that, that is getting towards uh, cu cutting off diplomatic relations towards Russia, cutting off exports to Russia. Uh, we have already seen the implementation a couple weeks back of cutting off the U.S. national security sensitive technologies to Russia. Uh, and also we're on a trajectory towards cutting off access to the American banking system. So I think there are arguments to be made that perhaps more sanctions aren't the way to go. Sanctions are sort of the stick. And the question is, what is the carrot? Um, I would say that uh, one of the carrots might be considering whether or not we continue to insist that Ukraine and Georgia be in NATO. Um, I think that if you really wanted to influence Russia's behavior, and you were talking in a one-to-one -one basis with Russia, and you were to have some sort of agreement, I think an agreement not to have Ukraine and Georgia and NATO might uh, lead to less conflict in both Ukraine and Georgia. There is the argument that there, uh, much of the, uh, the uh, military conflict and fomenting of military conflict is because they do seriously fear and worry and are concerned and are opposed to uh, having them in NATO. What if our posture against Russia is actually becoming too aggressive, folks, because of Trump derangement syndrome? What if in the leftist frenzy to seem tough against Russia, we've actually moved the Overton window of a Russia policy discussion way too far toward conflict? This is something that serious people are noting and thinking about and concerned about right now. It's something we'll keep an eye on here on the show. Every person who applies for a job with you is presenting all kinds of information, right? Everyone that you're thinking about renting a property out to has also given you details on their background and everything else, right? But if you want somebody that can double check all that information, which is absolutely critical for your business, you got to have somebody you can trust who treats each case as critical and who is all about the details and doing it all here in America. That's Global Verification Network. Global Verification Network is the only dual certified veteran owned background investigation and vetting company they're headquartered in chicago they've got offices throughout the country and everything is done here a lot of the other investigators folks will send your work to be done overseas think of like a call center but for sensitive personnel information all right if you got a question they can't help you you want global verification you want americans and vets on this case call 877-695-1179 that's 877-695-1179 or go to mygvn.com Governor Cuomo came out here in New York at an event and said that the slogan Make America Great Again is flawed because it implies that America was great at some point. So we've been asking people their take. Do you think America has ever been truly great? I don't believe America has been great for all folks ever, even today. I would have to agree with Governor Cuomo. Can you point to a time or do you think there was a time when America was great? I mean, not particularly. The idea that there was a once great America is, you know, pointing towards this false sense of nationalism that, you know, what is talking about white America? You know, it's, yeah, it's not great. I think it has been great for straight white men for a very long time. Do you think that there is a time you can point to where America was great? I don't know. <laughs> Honestly. Hmm. That's a good one. Um... Not great, but like there was definitely some progress, <laughs> and I think we're just regret uh, going through aggression now. It was never really great, but we do do like great things sometimes. Like we fix a lot of problems, but it's never just been wholly great. Was American exceptionalism taught in the classroom, or do you know what that is? No, no, it was not. No, I do not. 
Okay. And is that a phrase that you're familiar with? I've never heard it before. I personally wasn't taught American exceptionalism because I went to a very like forward-thinking liberal school here in the city. Uh, I don't think I've heard that term before in class. They've never heard of American exceptionalism, folks. And they certainly don't believe that America has been great in the past. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. That was a, we got, we got some millennial on the street interviews today. They're always fun to run, especially this time of year. Hey, Producer Mike, who, who was that again? That was uh, Cabot Phillips from Campus Reform. Oh, it was Campus Reform. Okay, so they're walking around asking millennials, what, what happens after, isn't there a new thing now? Is it Xennials? Is that what people are calling it? That's a lame name. We've got to come up with a better name. I don't think Xennials is, is a good enough name for whatever's below millennials, right? Younger than millennials. Because millennial, it can't be millennials forever. Everyone gets their generation or two, right? Then, anyway. So they're asking them about this. And, and this is all spurred on by... What Cuomo said, which was that nobody needs a bazooka to kill a three-toed sloth. Uh, oh, no, that was a different speech he gave. The speech he gave was, you know, America was never great. And when he said it, a lot of people immediately recognized this for what it was, which was a, a, a clear political blunder, right? People have, I think, a, an obvious understanding that you, you don't usually, when you're running for high office in America, especially with someone like Cuomo, who thinks one day he may be president of the United States of America, assuming those states are still America, and of, which is also in there, between those two words. Uh, but, you know, this guy who, oh, they're calling it Generation Z? What? Yeah, that's what I'm reading. Generation Z. First of all, it sounds like a bad, a bad uh, zombie movie. Which let me ask you this, Mike: what is the best? What is the best zombie movie of all time? <laughs> That's a good question. Because you know what, I was not into zombie anything at all until very recently. Um, I started watching Walking Dead, and I thought it was pretty good. So I'm not the best subject to go to on that. But um, all right, Brandon, yeah. can you save your can you save your colleague here before he gets a code red from afar? What is the best zombie movie? The best zombie movie is Train to Busan, a Japanese horror movie. No, it's South Korean Japanese zombie film. Okay, you just blew my mind there, producer Brandon. That's some next level stuff you just pulled out. What is this about? You asked a horror fan. That's what happened. Oh, I didn't even know. Look what we stumbled upon here, folks. We got an in-house expert. That's what I like to hear. It's on Netflix. I, Check it out. Train to Busan. I, I, is, is it actually pretty good? Yeah. Yeah. It's honestly one of the best zombie films I've seen in a long time. Oh, okay. I will check it out because you know, I, I like Dawn of the Dead, uh, which is the uh, I think it's a George Romero one, right? Mm -hmm. When they're in the mall, that's my favorite one. It's I think one. that's the best one. It's very well done. Uh, I liked uh, Twenty Eight Days Later. I thought Twenty Eight Weeks Later was a little weak, but I thought Twenty Eight Days Later. Was I good. actually and, I lied. I actually do like. I saw that. I like that one. See, Twenty Eight. As soon as you later. said that, I was like, oh, I saw that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Producer Mike, I got your back. Don't worry about it. So. Uh, you got all this. How did I even get on on talking about? Oh, millennials or Generation Z? It does sound like uh, that. What was the Brad? There was a Brad Pitt zombie movie with uh, something Z. World War Z. There it is. So millennials are that age. Millennials, of course, are now getting further along in the you know the the indoctrination um, because I think that the schools have gone further left. I know campuses have gone further left, and progressives feel like they've been winning the culture war for quite some time here they really do feel like they are um i think close to the ultimate victory in the culture war and that's 
uh, that's reflected in the educational curriculums of particularly the universities, but also at, at the lower levels in these different schools. And, and that the, but that they walk around and say that, you know, they don't think America is great. This is why I actually feel almost not sorry for Cuomo, but, you know, I, I kind of know why he would say that. Because you don't want to say that publicly, but you want your left-wing supporters to think you believe that. It is really an article of faith at this point, that the American left thinks that this country, uh, this country which is the greatest, most wealthy, most powerful, freest country in the history of the world, is not that great. This is a big difference. This is also what we saw on display with Obama when he made his comment about how you know, he thinks that you know, um, there's American exceptionalism the same way that Greeks believe in Greek exceptionalism. Essentially, the nullification of American exceptionalism was a belief held by the president of the United States for eight years, which is President Obama himself. Uh, and, and in leftist Democrat ideology in this country, there's a very uh, clear, especially in the, way, in the way that they talk about our history. And yeah, of course, we have there are terrible parts of our history. We do have to confront them. We have to be honest about them and learn about them and know what they were. Um, but they take all they take all of that out of its historical context, judge it by the standards of today and then think of themselves as somehow elevated by denigrating America, constantly putting themselves in a superior position to the America that existed before them and their ideology. You know, they think that they're the ones that will you know, bring out the bring about the America that that is in fact great right the america that we should all be proud of that can only happen when the left finally gets uh when the left finally gets their way that's really all that they care about at the end of the day folks the left gets their way um and and they will do whatever they have to whatever they can in that in that whole process you know i, I know that today's a day when there's a lot of a lot of gloating from the left because of these uh these trump associates or in, in some and at least in the case of Manafort a former Trump associate that's going down but they don't think at all about the the cost here long term they don't think about what this really does you know they they complain about how Trump pollutes our our politics and how his rhetoric is so out of line and everything else meanwhile i think anybody who's observing the way the left plays the game now has to feel like they are zero sum they are no holds barred and they do not care what carnage or destruction they leave in their wake as long as they're the ones in power calling the shots in this country. Because remember, if, if you really are in charge here, you're in charge of a lot more than just here. You know, America is the global driver on a number of in a number of ways on a whole bunch of different fronts. And so the lust for power that the left feels in this country is really transnational and global in scope. It's not just limited to any you know, one state or or even all 50 states. Uh, and, and today is a day when you see that they are playing a blood sport. And this is why you need somebody like Trump who's in office. You need somebody who is going to fight back, is going to push back against all of the nonsense and all of the lies and the tactics that they will deploy. They will do anything. They will lock people up because they don't like them. They will ruin people's lives for opposing them and feel righteous in doing so. Uh, speaking of the left, uh, Hillary is going to be uh, making an appearance here in the show in just a moment because she's going to be making an appearance, well, lots of them across the country. I'll explain in just a moment. If you've ever found yourself wincing at the weak taste of coffee from those commie corporate brands, you probably thought, I wish they spent less time on meaningless bias training 
bathroom policy reforms, and other things that defy common sense, and more time on their coffee. You know what, folks? That's why you need Black Rifle coffee. I drink Black Rifle every day. It's how I start each day. I'm a K-cup guy, probably because I'm a little lazy and I don't really want to necessarily have to use a French press or get beans or get ground beans, but you can do that too. Black Rifle Coffee has it all for you, all right? They also have great gear, t-shirts, and hats. Become a member of their coffee club. It'll get delivered to you every month. I just got my delivery for September, so I'm good to go. I've got all the Black Rifle I need. It comes to my door and I have all of the delicious flavors that I want. You just go on the website. You'll see for yourself. Visit BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Buck. Receive 15% off your order. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Buck for 15% off. BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Buck. You know, team, I start to think that maybe things aren't going to be so great for the Republicans going into this midterm. I start to worry that the media and their just relentless assaults on Trump and everybody around him has, has taken has had enough effect, has had enough of an impact that you know maybe we will lose the House. And then I see a bit of uh, good news coming our way, courtesy of the one and only Hamilton, who is headlining DNC, some DNC fundraisers now. This this is from CNN. Hillary Clinton will headline three fundraisers for the Democratic National Committee in the coming months in San Francisco, Chicago, and New York. The fundraisers, despite likely being closed to the press, will amount to the most public political step Clinton has taken since ending her tour promoting her 2017 memoir, What Happened?, about the 2016 presidential election. She's remained active on Twitter, and her political organization has donated to a host of Democratic House candidates. She's yet to headline a public event for a 2018 candidate. (sighs) <sighs> Hillary's back, folks. And here's my theory on this. I think she thinks she's running again. And I know you think I'm crazy for saying that. I know somebody's like, Buck, don't say it. Say it ain't so, Buck. No, this cannot be. It cannot be. Oh, but I think it is. I think it most definitely is. I think that in her mind, I'm not saying that means she will get the chance to run. I'm just saying that there's a very good chance that she thinks she's going to run again. And that's why she's out there doing this. Because if you're Hillary, why otherwise? Why would you be out there subjecting yourself, people like me who are going to go, what happened? Everywhere you show up, you know, why put yourself back into this political meat grinder? You're worth over $100 million. You got more money than you'll ever know what to do with from giving speeches, also known as selling access and influence. But she's got all this money. You know, why not just kick back and write some books and, you know, be a, you know, she's a grandma, be a grandma, you know, do, do, do those other norm, do those normal human being things that people do. Why do you have to go back out in the political spotlight? I, I think the most likely answer is that in her mind, she thinks that she's going to be the candidate. By default, she'll be the candidate again. And it depends on what comes out of the Mueller probe, right? You see, this is the narrative, folks. Let, let me walk you through this. It's Hillary is the only one who can set right the wrong that was done to the American people by Trump and the Russians. That's going to be the storyline if not that Donald Trump gets criminally charged. That's not going to happen. If Mueller writes a report for the Mueller probe that says uh, that Donald Trump was in some way guilty of obstruction of the Russia probe, even if there's no criminal referral attached to it. But if he submits it so that the House will create impeachment, then the narrative from Hillary and the left will be, 
See, he had to obstruct because he could not allow us to get to the truth, which we still have not gotten to, which is that he did collude with the Russians. This is what they're going to say. And the only way to make this right is at the ballot box and to make Hillary finally our president. I'm ready for her. I mean, that's, folks, I really think that's what, in her mind and some of her handlers and some of the people around her, I think that's what's going on here. I do think that there is a a belief. Uh, that, you know, who else is going to be Biden? I mean, Trump already cut Biden down to size. Bi- Biden was a, a dime a dozen politician that Obama put in the role of VP because, you know, he kind of needed somebody. Needed somebody who wasn't going to overshadow him in any way, who wasn't going to really be a challenge to Obama's stature or authority. And, you know, I guess would give him some some uh, experience gravitas. I, guess. I don't know. I mean, they, I've heard Biden speak. I was find the guy deeply, deeply unimpressive. Uh, but there's another possibility here. Because you know, I'm, I'm trying to walk through all these things because I want Hillary out there. I want Hillary Clinton to be reminding the American voter of what they could have had, which is me, which is Hillary Clinton out there talking to them about how much she cares about them and and just being a a particularly inept and uh, cronyist, kleptocratic politician. I want her out there because I want people to remember that this is what they could have had. Um, But then there's the other possibility. And this brings you back to why she's doing it. There's one that maybe she's doing it because she thinks she's going to be, by default, the candidate. What, it's going to be Bernie, guys? Think about this. It's not going to be Bernie. It's not going to be Biden. I think Elizabeth Warren would get chewed up in a national uh, national presidential election. And I, I think uh, Kamala Harris is just not ready for that level of prime time either. Maybe a VP slot. So who then, you know, maybe Hillary says, I'll only, I'll only be president for one term and Kamala Harris will be my VP. You know, we'll be ready for both of her, so to speak, or both of the ladies. Um, that's... That's one option that I could see happening here because the Democrats have nothing right now. No bench, nobody. I think they really also maybe hope that some big celebrity, someone like The Rock or Oprah steps in and and runs, uh, that they view that as maybe the only possible real, uh, you know, counteractive or, 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 you know, counterreaction against Trump that would be successful. But then there's this other, this other alternative that popped into my feed today. Oh, man. I've, by the way, I have called this from the start. I have known that this was a very serious likelihood from the beginning. And that is, and this is reported by Fox News as well as other outlets, that Chelsea Clinton, oh, that's right, folks, says she's a definite maybe to run for office. Now, you know my feelings on on, uh, dynasties, and in fact, you know my feelings on nepotism. You know, I... I I think nepotism is generally a bad thing for high government officials. I cannot tell a lie. And and also, I think dynasties are a terrible thing for this country politically. It's just the whole the the notion that we need to go with whoever has the last name and the family connections to run for higher office is it should be offensive to all of us. I mean, it should feel like a slap in the face to our republic. Uh, and, And that Hillary Clinton, look, Bush, Clinton, Kennedy. We don't need any of them anymore. All right. There's plenty of ways for folks to get out their message. There are plenty of opportunities for anyone to make their case to the American people 
It should not be relying on your last name. But but Chelsea Clinton in particular just strikes me. I mean, if her mother was entitled and presumptuous about he was going to be uh, going to be the next president, that Chelsea would step into the breach here, that Chelsea be the one who thinks that she should. You know, you want to ask her a very simple question. Why? Because you went to a bunch of different fancy schools, all the children of rich Celebrity politicians go to fancy schools. It's not hard for you to get in. They'll take you just based on your last name. Do we really need more of that? We need more coasting on a last name? Uh, Never mind the fact that every time I've ever seen her giving a speech or doing anything in public, it's been deeply underwhelming. I mean, you should really go back and watch. I know I like to pick on this, but it's it was particularly bad. Go back and watch what was happening, uh, what she was like when what happened? Sorry, what she was like on air when she was doing hits for, uh, what was it, Rockefeller Center or something, or whatever it's called, uh, you know, 30 Rockefeller, I think. It was some show, not 30 Rock, that's a different, it, it was called something or other, where she was doing interviews for the NBC, for NBC, and they paid her a huge sum of money, like six or $700,000. She did a couple of interviews and was terrible at them. Uh, I, I just resent that there are so many people in the country that seem to think that... Uh, Having Clinton as a last name is still an asset, too. Really? At this point? That's so we'll see. But that may be why Hillary's out there. She's trying to pave the way for Chelsea Uh, and Chelsea running for president. As far as I'm concerned, is another would be a great thing for the Republican Party because she has less political skill even than her mother, which is a hard thing to pull off. This is all about coal at all cost. It's about looking backwards to see how we can revive coal again and making false promises to those folks that the president is going to talk to tonight. As if we can look to the future as the only country in the world who's doing this, looking at coal as the future instead of understanding that the future is about clean air, the future is about clean energy, the future is about addressing the challenge of of climate change, which is really the most significant public health challenge that we face. This is a a big day, the the unveiling of our affordable clean energy rule. Um, What this rule will do will set guidelines for the states to then work with utilities around the country to make sure that every utility makes reductions on their CO2 emissions going forward. It's very different from the Obama approach, which is very much a command and control approach, where they dictated to all the states what they had to do. We're actually be working cooperatively with the states in this. It's not a rollback. It's an, it's an overhaul because the Obama regulation never took effect because the Supreme Court did take the unprecedented action of issuing the stay. We're using the laws that Congress gave us, and we've moved forward with this new approach, which we believe is legally sound and can be implemented across the country, and it will provide um, protections for all Americans as well as lower in, um, electricity rates. The battle with the environmentalist wackos is underway, my friends. Uh, we, we played there two two different sound bites for you. One of them was from the former Obama EPA chief, Gina McCarthy, and the other, the, the gentleman who spoke right after, that was from Andrew Wheeler, who is the acting EPA administrator today. Big battle brewing right now having to do with what they're calling the weakening of Obama-era regulations. Notice the uses of that term. There's a judgment in that. When they say that he is, that, that, that uh, Trump is weakening Obama's 
regulations. What they're saying is making the country more dangerous and making the environment more dangerous. And and it's a bad thing, obviously. Right. You weaken something that's strong. You weaken something that's good. Uh, why not just say change or why not say fix, adjust, reform even? You won't see any coverage of this that suggests that the Obama team is I'm sorry, that the, that the Trump team is reforming the Obama era regulations. You'll only see stuff that suggests that this is a terrible, you know, slashing and burning of all of the great things that Obama did. And, and I would just note if the things that Obama was doing on the environment were so great, we, we probably should have heard or we probably should have uh, had them via Congress instead of what we did have which was the Obama administration jamming this down our throats via executive action. Now, let, let me give you some of the details here. I don't want to just keep this at the, the, general, the general level. Uh, because, you know, the, and the, the left is going to fight this tooth and nail. There's about 2% of the country that really cares about climate change. And that 2% wants you to think that 60% of the country really cares about climate change. I mean, they, are, they are desperate to make everyone else think that other people think this is a big issue. You know, to make this a a uh, a prominent national campaign that's all about you know the, the, this this challenge to to the future. I mean, you heard uh, what was her name, Gina McCarthy? There, I'm sorry, not G- Gina McCarthy. Yes, it was Gina McCarthy, uh, who was the former EPA chief under Obama, saying that climate change is the greatest public health challenge of our time. Uh, y- you know what's a bigger public health challenge than climate change? 60,000, 70,000 people a year dying from opioid overdose. That's a that's a much more imminent challenge, isn't it? A, a public health challenge. You know, so that's another point here that y- you shouldn't you shouldn't lose sight of. It's not just, oh, we can do the environment and all these other things. The people who are true environmentalist zealots are not looking to make minor changes. They're not looking to engage in you know, rel- relatively small regulatory fixes. They want sweeping reform and they want to do it under the guise of this is an imminent issue of saving the planet and whatever we have to sacrifice in order to get there, we should do. They are extremists by definition. All right. This is uh, now turning into another one of these hashtag resistance fights, I would note, that the California Attorney General Javier Becerra has said that his state is going to sue Trump. You know, they just keep taking everything into the courts, folks. That's the that's the way the left goes. Nothing can be done by this commander in chief that the left doesn't like without the threat of a lawsuit. They have zero respect at all for uh, for his power. And, you know, there is such a thing as being overly litigious. You know, you can basically sue anyone for anything. Doesn't mean they'll have any, any merit in court. But this is really the equivalent of what the Democrats are doing against Trump is the equivalent of a of a malicious lawsuit. You know, they, they are maliciously and intentionally just trying to gum up the works, trying to jam up the Trump agenda as much as they can. So but what is this whole thing about? Uh, Becerra said the state's going to sue Trump over a plan that was released today to weaken carbon dioxide emission limits on power plants. My friends, carbon dioxide is uh, a naturally occurring gas in our in our atmosphere. Um, carbon dioxide is in fact all around us. It makes up a very 
small part of the overall atmosphere, I would note. Nitrogen oxi and oxygen are much more of the, uh, um, you know, much more of the atmosphere. And the notion that this is a pollutant, though, I mean, it is not an overstatement to say that this is how the left regulates air. Not air quality, per se, just air. Because CO2 is, to say it's a pollutant is like saying water is a pollutant. Water in high concentrations is very dangerous. Water can be quite destructive. Water can kill, as we know from tsunamis and, and flash floods, water can kill thousands of people. Water can be very dangerous. Are we going to regulate water as a, as a pollutant, though? No. That would be crazy. Their plans to regulate CO2 are equally insane, but that's what the Obama administration was trying to do. Uh, and, and to make coal, of course, even more expensive and less, uh, less of a possible, it's not a huge job creator anyway. I mean, you know, there's really, the whole coal plant issue just became a proxy for the overall battle with the environmentalists on the left because they don't mind costing people jobs and increasing misery in some pretty hard-hit parts of the country for no reason other than to scratch this itch they have over feeling like they're environmentalists that are saving the planet. And oh, by the way, the, the new regulations, because it would make cars, it, it would change the fuel emission standards going forward, and it would make cars cheaper because it would freeze in place fuel emission standards that have been there for a long time. They estimate that could save, that alone could save a thousand lives a year because newer cars are safer, and those newer cars, people are, are more, they're more survivable in them in the event of a crash. So they're, they're, they are quite, quite literally costing lives here with their intransigence over the issue of environmentalism and CO2 and all this stuff. I mean, CO2 from power plants, never mind what's going on in China and the rest of the world. I mean, they don't care a whit about all this stuff, but we're supposed to have these artificial constraints put on our economy. Uh, We're supposed to be the ones that are sitting around, you know, worried about the planet melting down because of this. It's just complete and utter nonsense. And I'm glad the Trump administration is taking the fight to the loony left on their environmentalist fantasies. It needs to be done. So that was some audio from a rally where uh, tens of thousands of Muslims uh, got together at Viking Stadium in Minnesota to uh, to celebrate Eid uh, Eid al Adha, which is a different holiday than Eid al Fitr. Uh, and, and this is one of these times when I'm, you know, I, I just got to tell you, you know, very few people what, that, that talk about this or, or that will say, oh, well, it's great. You know, happy Eid al-Udha to people. That they don't seem to know that usually the celebration involves slitting the throats of animals and then the, the drained carcass gets kind of uh, hung up in the air. Uh, and it's all about the, uh, the commemoration of the incident in the Old Testament where uh, Abraham is supposed to sacrifice his son Isaac and at the last moment does not and kills a goat instead. But so they, they slit the throats of animals. 
you know, you know what makes me think about this today, folks? One is we, we don't really speak about Islam and radical Islam that much anymore in the news cycle. And, and it's I think you got to say, well, one, certainly Trump is president and that's different from what we had had before in terms of foreign policy and U.S. policy against terrorism. And so that, that's a change. I think that's only that's only fair, uh, fair to say. Um, but but also given the given the social media uh, guidelines that are under so much discussion right now, given what we're being told about how hate speech is going to be uh, increasingly regulated by these massive social platforms like Facebook and Twitter and others, what happens with Islam? Because, you know, there's some very particular things about the Islamic faith that, that separate it from other faiths. One of them is that it uh, it, it demands, and anybody who challenges this or or you know w- wants to, to to quibble with me on this one, we we can run a quick we can run a quick experiment, right? It demands obedience to some of its tenets, even from non-Muslims. What I mean by this is that if you blaspheme the Prophet Muhammad, even if you are not a Muslim, your life is in jeopardy, and everyone understands that your life could be in jeopardy. People will threaten to kill you. It's the only major religion I know of where, for a mere statement, there's a credible threat against your life. It's the only one. There's, there's no other religion where you can just make a statement of, of your opinion on something, and you would likely have to have a protection detail traveling around with you. Right? So there's something distinct about the Islamic faith in that regard. And then beyond that, what do we, what do we make of uh, criticism of Islam in a, in a country where we have, because of these... Uh, propaganda groups like CARE and others, the Council on uh, American Islamic Relations, and there's there's a bunch of them out there, all funded by, you know, the Middle East and through cutouts and everything else. Uh, they've created this notion of Islamophobia, and they've tried to conflate racism with criticism of Islam. I got to tell you, I have absolutely no faith whatsoever in the social media platform's ability to discern. What is legitimate criticism of Islam? Let's say even criticism of, of the Eid al uh, Eid al Adha or al Adha, sorry, whatever, close enough, uh, festival. You know what, what about that? I mean, at, at what point do you find yourself in in uh, in hot water for hate speech merely because you want to discuss uh, what's going on? You know, Eid al Adha is the festival of sacrifice. Okay, that's what it's all about. It's and it's about you know Abraham. As I said, Abraham was going to sacrifice his son. He gave him a ram instead. And uh, yes, there's parts of this where they're supposed to give to the poor and the needy and give to relatives, uh, but they usually slit animals' uh, throats. In rich, th- th- that is the traditional practice here. So if I were a big PETA person, um, if I were a big PETA member, oh, but wait, wait, this is a total. Uh, a total di- digression for a second, but I just, I couldn't help, I couldn't help it. I mentioned PETA. I have to mention this now. Nabisco, speaking of PETA, has changed its Barnum animal crackers uh, so that they're no longer in cages. That's right. Nabis- PETA did not like the way that uh, animal crackers, the animals were actually in cages um, or in, in, in a circus. So they changed it now to allow the animals to be free of the cages because they don't want. <laughs> I mean, I guess, uh, you know, I guess this is what PETA does with its time. I mean, I, I hate animal cruelty and 
I get irrationally angry and, and think irrationally violent thoughts uh, when I know that anyone's been cruel to a dog. But I, I, don't, I didn't know that we had to change the animal crackers. Yet. I didn't know that PETA really had to, fight, had to fight this fight. But, you know, they don't want them in cages. So now you're animal crackers, folks. If you eat those, they're no longer in, in uh, circus cages. But so on Islam and, and, uh, and with PETA, if you were a, a big animal rights activist and you say that the sacrifice during Eid al-Adha is, uh, is barbaric, are you engaged in a hate speech or are you just criticizing a practice that you think is out of step with modern times and, and should not be, you know, should not be acceptable on U.S. soil? This is going to, you know, because I'm we've been quiet with Islam here or quiet in terms of criticism or discussion of Islam in the news media for a little while. It's really gone down substantially. And I do think that it's worth noting that this will not hold. There will come a time at which we have to talk about Islam more often and more openly. And social media is going to be an issue. Uh, There is absolutely, in my opinion, there is absolutely going to be a crackdown on criticism of Islam on platforms like Facebook and Twitter. And that's going to get really nasty. That's going to get intense. The place where I, by the way, see it happening right now, and this is why I have zero faith in the you know, the, the social media uh, outlets policing themselves. And look, Trump is all over this. I mean, everybody realizes this is a big issue. Uh, but th- the way that I know this is going to be a problem is, is on uh, transgender rights. Because they're going to do this whole thing of if you don't use the pronoun that somebody who's transgender wants, if, if you believe that that's, you know, that, that that's inaccurate, as I do. I mean, it's an inaccurate thing to say someone is a he who's a she or a she who's a he. It's just inaccurate. I'm not trying to be mean to anybody. But gender is a real thing, and it is not a malleable concept. And if they're going to say it's a malleable concept, well, then I need only people who have a physical gen- uh, uh, genetic abnormality to be claiming to be non-gender binary. Right? Uh, but I, I think that that's how they, they get people, even more people kicked off. They're going to use the, tra- the, the language of transgender rights and saying that it's a civil rights movement to say that opposition to that is hate speech or opposition to using preferred pronoun by transgender individuals is hate speech. Uh, but with Islam, too, I mean, these are two very contentious areas where, I mean, I can assure you that, you know, whether it's Jack Dorsey at Twitter or Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook, these guys are not going to uh, side with the folks who are, are f- on the free speech side of this equation as this becomes more heated as, this go, as we go further down the line here. Uh, we are in for a massive and continuing First Amendment battle in the digital world. And it's one that right now, the other side, we have right on our side, but the other side has all the platforms. Here's what I love about Simply Safe. They worry about all the stuff when it comes to home security systems, so I have to worry a whole lot less. These are detail-oriented folks at Simply Safe, and that's why they've become a billion dollar company folks that's right billion with a b they know what it is to have to worry about people's homes they know what it is to have to try to deal with all the different problems of a false scent or you know a false positive a sensor going off they've got it all covered the simply safe system is so easy to use and install i've got one at home and let me tell you you won't even notice it's there except when you need it, you know, because then you can use the app, you can connect to it remotely. And if you lose Wi Fi, folks, or you lose power, guess what? The Simply Safe system keeps working. Protect your home today. Visit simplysafe.com slash buck. 
That's simplysafe.com slash buck. Again, get the best security system in the business. No contracts. $14.99 a month for monitoring. Simplysafe.com slash buck. Welcome back to the Freedom Hut team. Here's a story I doubt you'll see highlighted by that many mainstream media outlets. They would much rather talk about Manafort's uh, guilty verdict. They'd much rather talk about the plea deal that Michael Cohen has reached. Uh, And they do not want to spend time talking to you about this one. Uh, The MS-13 gang member who has pleaded guilty in a quadruple murder highlighted by Trump. Uh, This is from the New York Times. After Jose Portillo crossed into the United States illegally in 2015, he settled on Long Island and sought to join the same gang, MS-13, that was terrorizing his hometown in El Salvador. On April 11, 2017, authorities say he took part in executing four Latino, uh, young Latino men in the woods behind a central Islip New York soccer field, a sensational crime that drew national attention and became a rallying cry in President Trump's crackdown on illegal immigration. Mr. Portillo, who is 17 years old, folks, involved in a quadruple murder, pleaded guilty on Monday to federal racketeering charges and for his role in the four murders, according to prosecutors. Authorities initially charged him as a juvenile, along with nine other gang members, in the murder of the four young men. But even though Portillo was just shy of 16 years old at the time of the killings, the judge in the case decided he should be charged as an adult because of the severity of the crime. Damn straight. So, what is it about this? Now, first of all, this case, as as was mentioned at the top, and that was all from the New York Times reported this, by the way. Uh, this case was one that got a lot of national attention. Trump made sure that it got a lot of national attention. And th- there was a sense that, you know, th- this is what's happening. Finally, there, there was the ability to talk about what's really going on in some of these communities where you have this influx of illegal immigrants because they're always telling us, Oh, it's the, the, they're just the dreamers. You know, they're always telling us, oh, this is all people who just want to come to this country and work hard. And we're supposed to accept that as the real, you know, the, the, the real situation. We're not allowed to ask any questions. In fact, if you ask questions, they start to say you're probably racist. But, but then you look at the other side of this. Well, if you're going to give me the upside of what it means to have these, you know, the upside of what it means to have these, uh, People coming into the country either illegally or claiming refugee status or however it is that they got here. Can't we speak openly and honestly about the downside? Isn't that a a part of this process as well? And the answer the media gives you, of course, is no, you are not allowed to do that. You are absolutely uh, prohibited from discussing these cases. And if you do, you know, and when I mean discussing them, it's all about how you discuss them, too. Like, yeah, the New York Times is saying that this gang quadruple murder happened, but they're not framing the narrative in such a way that this is a direct result of the Obama administration's immigration policy when it came to, if you come from Central America, open door policy. That's what happened. So countries like El Salvador, from which we get MS-13, although I know it was Salvadoran refugees in California, actually, who formed the group initially, but now its main base of operations is in El Salvador. But when El El Salvadorans uh, come into this country through the Obama administration policy and they kill people, we're not supposed to talk about the policy, you know, how how this could be affected by policy or how policy has affected the situation. We're just supposed to be quiet 
accept that you know our betters know more than us on this one or listen to our betters on the issue of of immigration and uh, any question will be met with the nastiest kind of insinuations about you know not liking brown people or not liking people from you know other countries and all all the usual moral blackmail that the left engages in uh, but in, in this case you know, people should and by the way the new york times coverage of the case that i'm reading from here is you know it's probably 500 words very short uh, very short um they 17 murders by the way committed in suffolk county alone which is one county in new york state from january 6 uh january of 2016 to april of 2017 okay 17 murders folks in a part of the country that's not known for being particularly rough or violent that's a lot you know, you start to wonder i mean how many kate steinleys how many uh cases like this where you have a, a quadruple, a brutal quadruple homicide of young teenagers. You know, this, this is because of decisions that are made at the policy level by the Obama administration and by sanctuary cities to turn a blind eye to all this. And oh, oh, oh by the way, not, not for, uh, I, I don't want to skip past this either. It was very sad. Investigators today found the body of Molly Tibbetts. Uh, she is dead. She'd been missing for a month after she went for a jog. She was an Ohio, uh, Iowa college student and in custody right now. They, they haven't said all that much, but in custody, they have somebody who is, quote, subject to a federal immigration detainer. You know what that means, folks? I mean, you're seeing that in some of the headlines. Subject to immigration detainer is what it says in The Washington Post. You know what that means? Illegal alien. OK, so we might have to add Molly Tibbetts to the. Uh, the body count of people brutally murdered by illegal aliens in this country who, remember, should have never been in the country in the first place. You know, the position on this should be we should have zero, zero illegal aliens murdering people because we should have zero illegal aliens. Right. We shouldn't have to suffer any consequences from this uh, because there shouldn't be anybody that could cause these kinds of terrible issues. You know, an, and, and then back, back to MS-13 for a second. Earlier in the week, there was another story. I was shocked at how little attention it got. And it's that investigators who follow MS-13 very closely, which, you know, Trump has been, Trump has taken MS-13 uh, as, as serious, well, more seriously really than anybody. Trump is, is uh, absolutely dedicated as a president to raising awareness about and, and tackling the issue of MS-13 gang violence. But MS-13 is, is in the process right now of trying to find a way to organize itself. That's right. MS-13 wants to mimic the more structured Mexican drug cartels and even organized crime along the lines of what you've seen with the Italian mafia, the uh, Russian mafia, and others. And this is what's going on right now in, in that movement. And it's in part because these franchises have grown why have these MS franchises grown, folks? They're not growing with new recruits who are coming here from Vietnam. They're not growing with new recruits who are showing up here from, you know, Italy. MS-13 is growing because of the influx of Central American immigrants, illegal immigrants and refugees into this country. And now we have this problem where we could have a, a multinational gang that is involved in horrific violence, the kind of violence that investigators will tell you, you know, uh, that that career law enforcement will tell you some of those other groups now try to avoid because it just brings the, it brings unnecessary attention to them. 
MS-13 is the group that uses machetes intentionally because they want their, you know, their enemies, they want their opposition to be terrified of them. They want to be known as the most brutal, the most vicious, the most cutthroat. And so the headlines that they get from these incidents isn't bad for business in their eyes. It's, in fact, the cost of doing business. It's how they want to do their business, which is very different from what you see from many of the other uh organized crime groups out there who yes engage in horrific violence and they're bad guys too but they at least understand that on u.s soil this kind of attention is 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 a problem for their interests of of making money it brings look it brings greater law enforcement scrutiny uh so you got ms-13 trying to organize you've got molly tibbetts uh possibly murdered by a i mean she she has been found dead she was murdered but possibly murdered by an illegal alien and you have the possibility of, uh, or and you have this other case rather in Long Island of four people who were murdered by MS-13. So, you know, this I, I wish the media would spend more time on this than than uh, Michael Avenatti. You know, I think this is a more pressing issue, but you know, they've got left wingers to placate. The FBI calls home title theft one of the fastest growing crimes out there. Brace yourself. Because having your credit card stolen is nothing compared to the hell you're in for once an identity thief takes control of your home's title. Look, everything is online these days. I've seen how this can happen. I've seen a demonstration of how home title theft occurs. They take you off your home's title online. They replace you with an alias. Then they borrow every penny they can using your home's equity, and they stick you with the payments. You're not going to know about this until you get a late notice, and identity theft programs do not protect you. Only Home Title Lock safeguards your home's title from cyber thieves and hackers. For just pennies a day, Home Title Lock protects my most viable asset, my family's home. Register now for a free analysis and discover if your home's title has been compromised. That's a $60 value free. Visit HomeTitleLock.com. Again, just pennies a day to protect your home at HomeTitleLock.com. Are you familiar at all with a little thing called socialism? Yes. What do you think about it? I love it. Love social. What do you love about it? I like to socialize with everybody. No, not socialize, socialism. I'm not really sure what socialism actually is. So socialism is basically an economic system and where everybody's equal. There's no rich and there's no poor. Oh, no, no, I get it. It's kind of like what Cuba does. I'm not quite so clear on the exact definition of socialism, but I think it's important that it isn't just every man for himself. Uh, I don't know because... Socialism's worked in some places. Where? Other places. I'm still trying to find where socialism works. I don't know either. Do you know the difference between a Democrat and a socialist? Honestly, no. How do you feel about socialism, sir? It's great. They have, I just got back from Europe, four weeks in Europe. Free health care, good schools. It's wonderful. Free, yeah. free everything? You think Not that works? Free. You have to pay for it. Recent poll just came out saying that Democrats now view socialism more favorably than they view capitalism. What are your thoughts? Uh doesn't make any sense. Socialism is ridiculous. I'm for it. You're for socialism. I am for it. Why? Because I think uh, everybody should have a fair opportunity for health care. And um, yeah. Does fair mean free? Fair means free. Do you hear any of your friends talking about socialism? Nope. They don't talk about politics at all? Nope. Do you know who Bernie Sanders is? Yes. He believes in socialism. Oh, okay. Are you a Bernie Sanders supporter? I don't like Donald Trump, so... Why not? Anything not Donald, Donald Trump is okay? Yep. There are some, Democrats mostly, who believe socialism should replace capitalism. Do you think that's ever going to happen? Uh, personally, I do not think that's ever going to happen. I think capitalism is fantastic. It gives every American an opportunity to earn an income, each an individual. 
So there you have my old friend and colleague, uh, Tommy Laren, uh, for, uh, for Fox News there, going around and asking people, I believe out in L.A., it could have been in New York, though. So you get the same answers in either place. Although, I don't know, in New York, we read books. You know, we know a little more than in L.A. Oh, that's right. I'm just kidding, L.A., I love you. I'm, I'm actually coming out to see you in a few days. Los Angeles is wonderful. I'm just bitter because you have better weather, uh, among other things. But this is more of a question, or more important question, than it might seem at first. Because when you actually dig into it, it's not entirely clear to me why or how Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, how she defines socialism. Is she a socialist? Uh, these, are all, these are all things that we, we don't really have particularly you know, good, good answers to because she does not really know what a socialist is. Uh, she tweeted out over the weekend, and I know that people like to say, well, why are we picking on her? Well, the left said that she was the future of the Democratic Party, basically. Some very prominent people on the left have been saying that. So that makes it completely legitimate to discuss who is this person that we are supposed to believe is a remarkably, you know, uh, talented politician of the future. And she shared... Uh, on her Twitter account, the following. This is Alexandria, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Back home after a lovely few days off enjoying U.S. examples of democratic socialism like Acadia National Park, cafe co-ops, definitely the top five breakfast sandwiches I've ever had, supporting worker-owned businesses, and a Planned Parenthood helping people per usual. None of these could be described by anybody who knows what socialism is as socialism. Not a single one of these things is socialism. But she describes it as democratic socialism. And what is happening here, folks, is a corruption of language. And this is very important. What they're really saying now, what's happening on the left, is they're trying to create or they're trying to, to change our conceptions around what certain words really mean. Socialism has, for a very long time, had a very negative connotation in American political discourse because socialism leads to, led directly to communism and the Soviet Union and the Iron Curtain and the Cold War and all those terrible things in the 20th century. I mean, the threat of extermination for the United States was a direct consequence of the rotten ideology of socialism, right, taken to its ultimate ends or its ultimate conclusion, which is always... When fully implemented, it's not that it's not implemented properly, and that's the problem. When socialism is fully implemented, the end result is misery, shortage, lines for toilet paper, lines for bread, and human suffering and degradation. That's what happens. That's what socialism brings people. That's what, that's what it, uh, it offers up for you. But what you're seeing is, this, is how fascism has been fashioned into a club that the left will use to beat anybody they can with, right? Just, you know, if they don't like your idea, you're a fascist. They will say that, you know, extremism on the right is fascism, whereas extremism on the left is communism. It's not true. Fascism and communism are uh, heresies from the same socialist tree. There, there's nothing about fascism that is conservative, and therefore there's nothing about fascism uh, that you can reasonably or credibly placed on the right. On the right, you could say nationalism in some ways, uh, which can be a component of fascism, is is more right-wing. But 
to say that fascism as an ideology is, is on the right is, is just false. But they've fascism has just become a term of general disparagement. In fact, there's a movie from oh, back in the 80s called Bar, uh, I think it's called Barcelona. And or maybe I'm getting it confused with another movie, but it's a guy he's visiting a uh, he's visiting his friend and he's in the Navy and he's an American and he's visiting his friend in Spain. So I know that's it's definitely uh, I'm in the right place. I just can't remember if I have the movie exactly right. But he walks around and Spaniards sneer at him and call him uh, and call him a fascist because he's American. And I just remember this was this was a, a general term of disparagement for a while and lefties in Europe would call anybody who opposed a very uh, progressive socialist government policy, they'd call them a fascist uh, as, as a term of disparagement. What's happening in this country now is that socialism is coming to mean just things that that democratic socialism is stuff people like. And that the left is saying that democratic socialism is just the distillation of the good parts of socialism without any of the bad parts. So democratic socialism, you see, is free health care. Uh, democratic socialism is, you know, greater rights for workers and unionization. And democratic socialism is free school, free college. Um, what they don't talk to you about then is, well, does it leave behind government control of the means of production? Because that's really what socialism is. Does it not involve that? Uh, does it involve incredibly high levels of taxation? How high? And what should our expectations be for how long those how long we can go with those taxes before our economy implodes? So this is what they're doing. They're changing socialism. They're trying to make socialism sound cool. And it no longer is really clear what it means. By the way, Planned Parenthood has, has just flatly nothing to do with socialism or anything else. I mean, that's just a, a, a scam and a slaughterhouse. But it's not to say that socialism is just but this is what I mean. Anything that the left likes is socialism now. That's what they're saying. Democratic socialism. And they use that to kind of deflect away from it. Um, but they're trying to change our perception of what the word means. And it's happening right now. And it's because the left has run out of ideas other than go hard left. You know, the Democrats have only one move that they can make from a policy perspective in their minds at this point, other than talking about the isms and racism and sexism and all that. And that is to uh, move toward a, a government-mandated uh, government business structures and redistribution of wealth on a massive scale and an enormous welfare state and the taxes that come along with that, which would be ruinous uh, for our economy and, and for all of us. Uh, but this is what they're promising in the meantime. This is what they're saying is, is going to happen, and this is what— is, you know, if you get people like Ocasio-Cortez in office, I think you can expect. But just watch how they try to change this definition. It's very important. You are seeing in real time uh, the redefinition of socialism happening by the left to mean whatever they like. And anything that's bad, they say, is not socialism. You know, I love this story about public school hypocrisy. It's one that I've talked to you about before. But in this case, in this instance, it's one that I think is is particularly uh, worth talking to you about. So, so here's, what, here's what ended up happening. This is not the first time, by the way, this has gone on in New York. Uh, but there is a school in New York City that is in a very, very progressive, uh, very, very progressive area called Park Slope, right? And they, it, it, this has got to be the single most 
like liberal stronghold in Brooklyn, maybe the whole city. I mean, you, you live in Park Slope because you are a a well-off hipster, probably a, a hipster with a family, so it's a little older than, say, Williamsburg. Anyway, this is like a, a Hillary, Obama, really even a Bernie Sanders stronghold in New York. And they have a school that's a very a very good school, but it turns out that the Park Slope Public School is overwhelmingly white, right? And there are all these libs that send their kids to this school. The District uh, 15 school, I believe it is. Yes, District 15 middle school. And there's an admissions process. And they are now saying that, well, you know, we have these other schools in the city that have already gone through this process of changing their admissions criteria so that there's a greater diversity, right? They're, some are calling this a radical diversity plan. But here's the big shock of all shocks, folks. When these libs find out in Park Slope, I'm, I'm telling you, this is 95% plus Democrat territory. This is a hard left, deep blue part of not just any city, but of New York City. Uh, when they found out about this, the parents once again lose their minds. And they've done this in other cases, too. They did this in a similar situation in a place called Dumbo in New York, where uh, there was also a, uh, a a substantial, you know, there was one school, one public school that was really strong, and it was overwhelmingly white. And there was another public school that was struggling terribly, and it was overwhelmingly minority. So in that case, in the Dumbo neighborhood of Brooklyn, guess what? The libs were all like, we don't want to we don't want to mix and match the students from the different schools. Well, now fast forward a couple of years and, and here we are in the same situation uh, where you have a school that is overwhelmingly white that's doing very well and a school that is overwhelmingly minority is doing very poorly. And the parents of those kids, despite the fact that I bet if you if you were to pull them, they all think they're woke. You know, they all uh, they all read. The Huffington Post and Slate.com and they watch MSNBC. I mean, that's the audience we're talking about here. They don't want their kids to go to a school that has to go through this diversity program. They don't want their kids to have to do this. And this is what's particularly interesting about this case. Other than the obvious, the obvious hypocrisy, um, they had these meetings. Um, they had these meetings where they showed them a video from the the civil rights era and essentially we're saying that uh you know if they oppose this it's like they were here we go in a june 20th community presentation a slideshow and report prepared by a department of education consultant compared efforts to enact the changes to civil rights struggles during the 1950s and 60s images in the report include a 1954 banner headline on the u.s supreme court barring racial segregation in public schools. It's followed by a photo showing two smiling black girls uh, holding signs, one reading integration is an education. The next photo shows an angry mob of white women with signs such as save segregation vote and a scowling white boy waving a sign reading all I want for uh, Christmas is a clean white school, end quote. One Park Slope mom, this is now again from the New York Post piece, whose fifth grader would be affected by the diversity plan said she was galled because it suggested any critique would be pain in the worst possible light. 
If you're opposed to this plan, you're a racist from 1950s Alabama, the mom complained. Yeah. You know, social justice, these people always end up, the, the social justice warriors always end up coming after their own, right? It, it's just inevitable. They, they, they can't help it because that's the notion, I mean, that's the, the, the foundation of their ideology is that it's always having to look for new people to go on offense against. You have to find new people to claim are the oppressors. And I, I just though I, have, I just I can't get enough of this because I know Brooklyn pretty well. And I know the people who live in Brooklyn. And this is a classic case. This is similar, folks, to what would happen if, let's say, you were able to tell all of the different uh, CNN anchors that their kids would have to go to a failing 70% minority public school instead of the fancy private school or the fancy public school even that they go to, and what their responses would be. And this is why I keep telling you that hypocrisy is, is a defining characteristic of the Democratic Party. It really, truly is. You know, I think there's no way around it. There's no way to get around it other than just to be honest about it. Democrats are all about hypocrisy because they they have no there's no underlying principles to their ideology uh and when it comes to schools they love to talk about diversity and multiculturalism but the moment they actually have to expose themselves or, or more importantly to them their children to a multicultural uh ideology we we hear about we hear about the problems right we, we hear about oh well that's not that's not fair and that's not for my kid and that's not what should happen and you know, meanwhile, the rest of us sit around and say, so good for everyone else's kids, but yours, right? That's the liberal mantra when it comes to diversity and multiculturalism. Good for everybody else. You know, they don't want to sacrifice their kids, folks, and their futures. They want to sacrifice yours by putting them in a situation where the academic environment may suffer. Maybe it doesn't, but maybe it does. And they don't want to take that risk, but they want your kids to take that risk. Ah, yes, this is this is liberalism 101 on display in Brooklyn, and it's true in the rest of the country as well, whenever you get into some elite liberal enclave. Roll Call is coming up. Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. All right, it's my favorite part of the show. I like to say that because I'm hoping that you all feel like it's your favorite part of the show too. The Roll Call segment. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton if you want to be a part of Roll Call because it is so much fun. All right, let's get to it. Patrick writes, Buck, mustard is the best compliment to fries. You could do a yellow mustard mayo kitchen aioli and be on to something great. Shields high. Uh, Well, Patrick, I can't say that I agree with you. I think that mayo with fries is simply the best. And I know that that makes me not really American. And I know that some of you are going to get mad at me when I tell you that I also think it's a terrible thing that the Eagles have now surpassed Thriller as the uh, most popular, in terms of purchases, album of all time. Because uh, I know that that's an unpopular position, but you know what? I'm just here to speak the truth, folks. I'm not here to be loved. That's actually not true. I work in media. I think I am here to be loved, actually, so forget that. I need to speak the truth and be loved, or, or at least be somewhat respected enough that people will listen. I don't know. Something like that. That sounds good. Let's just go for that. Uh, but Patrick, I'm a, I'm a Mayo guy. And I can't change. I can't change who I am. Ketchup, I'm okay with. I just think that I had too much ketchup growing up. I should probably move on to another thing now. Uh, 
Adam writes, I would love to see you and the team play this game on Facebook Live. You will have to play Jack Burton, of course. The Big Trouble in Little China game. Adam, I did not know that was a thing. So, okay. There we have it. Uh, Harry writes, Shields high, Buck. Please do not call the denizens of D.C. swampers. Some of my Cajun ancestors were swampers who made a living trapping, hunting, and harvesting from the Louisiana swamps, a poor but honest life. Uh, well, Harry, what, what, do we, what do we call then the residents of the D.C. swamp? What's a better term for them? I believe our friend, the formidable Dan Bongino, refers to them as swamp rats, which certainly brings with it the negative connotation that we may be seeking with our discussion of said swamp. But this is an interesting, an interesting question as posed here. What do we do about the swampers that are not actually D.C. folks? We don't want to make them think that we are in any way speaking pejoratively about them. Uh, but yeah, ther- uh, thank you, Harry, for writing it in. Good to, good to hear from you. Cool beard, by the way. Good beard from Harry. See, I can see everyone's photos when they write in. It's a nice little fun advantage here, the roll call. I get to see these folks. Eric writes, Buck, do you think it's possible that Rosenstein is giving the administration information about all the others? It is, it is all about self-preservation. That's the only reason I could think of for them to keep him around. I, I don't know. I got to be honest with you, Eric. I don't know really what Rosenstein's motivation is right now, other than obviously to keep himself out of trouble. But I, I couldn't tell you definitively what I think Rosenstein's game is here. I think that Rosenstein is somebody who views the institution of the DOJ. Remember my conversation with Kim Strassel of the Wall Street Journal yesterday? I think Rosenstein thinks of himself in terms of, you know, being a protector of the DOJ, you know, protecting the legacy of the Department of Justice. And he'll go to great lengths to do that. I don't know what beyond that motivates him. I Generally, government bureaucrats just want to get their paycheck, go home, and not be bothered. So it's tough to always read into. There are clearly zealots, right? There are people like Strzok and, I would argue, Bruce Orr and Sally Yates who are very ideologically uh, you know, firm in certain ways, um, very ideologically uh, you know, set, but in and, and, and their progressive ways, of course. John writes, Buck, good show yesterday. I enjoyed being on. I like what you two are building. Well, John, thank you. You are a guest on Rising, and you wrote me this note. I didn't realize it till now, so I'm going to write back to you. Thank you, John. Great. See, this is real time, folks. Great to have you. Um, so next up, we have Stephen, who writes, uh, why have you got to remind us Michiganders of Jenny G this early in the morning? If I get in trouble for being drunk at work, I blame you. I don't know if you can blame me. If I get in trouble for being drunk at work, I blame you. She was really Detroit's and Lansing's and Flint's governor, not Michigan's Shields High. Well, you, you know, Stephen, years ago, I uh, I went to a uh, a speech. I gave a speech in Central Michigan. Like, if Michigan is your hand, right? If Michigan is a is a mitten or a glove right in the dead center of the palm. I gave a speech right there. I think it was Conestoga. And it was very red. I mean, in terms of the politics, people there were great. Great Americans, love the outdoors, love this country, and staunch conservatives. So I know Michigan, 
It's like all these states, folks. You get into some of the cities, you think, wow, everybody's a liberal. And then you get out into the into the countryside, not in some of the outer lying suburbs. You're like, wow, everybody's a conservative. I guess it's all going to be OK. Alice writes, calling liberals leftist properly implies they are an ism like socialism and communism. God bless you. Well, Alice, thank you. And uh, I appreciate your analysis here. Pete writes, really great show, Buck. Glad you showed up here in Naples, Florida on Fox News Radio this year. Your insightful commentary and the way you think before you speak are so refreshing. You're a bright star in a world full of deranged libs. Thanks and shields high from Pete. Pete, well, thank you. Uh, it's, look, I, I appreciate uh, any any advice and, uh, and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Encouragement. <laughs> I appreciate any appreciation. No, any encouragement is, is really great. So, and, and it really means a lot to me. So thank you very much for that. Um, what do we have here? Marcus writes, uh, Mud is a poor man. Phil Mud is a poor man's NatSec replacement for Buck Sexton. He's just been yelling on TV Al Pacino style for 12 months. Sad. Well, Marcus, I can't say I disagree with you. So thank you very much for writing in. Michael Buck, original Red Eye fan here. I heard someone gave you negative feedback on your impressions on Monday's roll call. I love the impressions, especially Hillary. Warren Wilhelm and Angela Merkel. I usually laugh out loud when you surprise us with them. Don't stop. Shields high, Michael. Well, thank you, Michael. Uh, team, team Buck is, you know, lifting me up today. I've got to tell you, I've actually, well, it's one of these days where I just, I've had kind of a rough day. So it's nice to hear from all of you. It makes the day a whole lot better. Um, and thank you for all that. You are all much, much appreciated, as you know. Very much appreciated. And I'm glad you like the impressions. And hello! So does Hillary. So does Hillary. Astos Kaiser Wilhelm. Hello, guten Tag, ja. I really, I want to open up like a little German sweet shop just so I can stand there at the counter and say like, hello, everyone. Would you like to try my Berliner? Uh, Monica writes, hey, Buck, I had an epiphany of what the left wants. They want everything to be completely free by taking all of everyone's money, and then they decide who gets how much free stuff based on your support for their causes. Uh, well, Monica, that's, I think that's also called the way that they view taxes. So you you are definitely onto something. So there is that. Noel Shields High, you were talking about barbecue in Austin recently. As a resident of the area, I would like to suggest the original Salt Lick Barbecue in Driftwood. It's delicious. Also, if you don't feel like traveling, but it is worth it, try Smoky Moe's Barbecue Pork Loin. They have several locations throughout the Austin area. Keep up the awesomeness, Noel. Well, thank you, Noel. And that sounds great. And yeah, Austin is, is high on my list, like I said, of places I want to get to and also where I want to have some kind of a Team Buck meetup. So we can plan on that, hopefully, uh, in the near, in the near-ish future. Rebecca. Oh, here we go. Buck, I have a college-age brother and sister. And their spouses, and they're so indoctrinated into progressive ideology, it makes me sick. Riddle me this. How can a person scream about the lying, corrupt government, especially the military, one second, and then scream about how the government should regulate everything on the market? Direct quote, not a straw man. Uh, yeah, well, Rebecca, remember, hypocrisy is, as I say, a defining characteristic of modern liberalism. So they have no problem with hypocrisy because they realize that it can be useful in the short term. When you're not worried about the erosion of principle, you are not bound by those principles. And that's something you always got to keep in mind when you're thinking about the liberal mindset here. 
Matt writes, uh, Buck, have you ever considered Raymond Ibrahim as a guest? I read his Al-Qaeda reader several years ago. It was a translation of messages that Al-Qaeda released in the Mideast, then went along with their softer tone videos released to the West. I'd like to hear more from him and think your views on Islamism would be simpatico shields. Hi, Matt. Uh, Matt, I would certainly consider it. I don't know Raymond's work offhand, but uh, if you say he's interesting, I'll have producer Mike check him out. Team, that's going to be it for the Freedom Hut for today. Uh, don't forget, speaking of the Freedom Hut, you can download the recent week's podcasts. Go into the Buck Sexton feed on iTunes. You'll see them there. They are evergreen, which means they're always good to listen to. Until next time, my friends, Shield tie.